This is History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you're having a fantastic day. This is episode 34. I have Frank Robinson on the show. Frank Robinson is the president and CEO of Lewis Ginter Botanical Gardens. Uh, You will actually hear Beth Monroe, the public relations and marketing director at Lewis Ginter Botanical Gardens, chime in every once in a while. Um, But the main voice that you're going to hear is going to be Frank Robinson and my own. Um, The conversation, she just really sat in on the conversation and every once in a while helped out a bit. Um, But it's a giant conversation, so I broke it into two two parts. Um, It's about Louis Ginter, uh, the botanical gardens, uh, Louis Ginter's impact on the city, and, you know, who he is as a guy, right? The, the, The actual man of Louis Ginter. We try and get a little bit deeper into that. Um, there was a great book written by uh, a fellow like Brian Burns recently about Lewis Ginter, which actually shed a, a great deal of light on who who the man was. Um, but most people still don't know that much about him. Uh, it's you know he was an incredibly private man, um, but you know there's a lot of folks. I mean, I talked to a lot of people more than I'd care to say. That, you know, if you ask them, you know, who the Lewis Ginter Botanical Gardens is named after, they think it's somewhat like a law firm, like like Stephen Lewis and Carl Ginter or something like that. Um, but if you don't know who he is, I mean, it, you're in for a treat. Right? Really, if you, you know, William Byrd II is the founder of the city of Richmond, um, but it's a pretty safe thing to say that, that Lewis Ginter is, you know, kind of the founder or the father of the north side of Richmond. Uh, he has his hands in the botanical gardens, obviously, um, Lakeside Park, um, Ginter Park, um, and a, a huge aspect of it. Um, but it is going to be broken into two episodes um, because there is a man, there is a, a, a lot of land to talk about, what happens, how that land changes. Uh, his, his niece, Grace Arents, also plays hugely into this, um, and... Before I get into the conversation, I do want to, in fact, uh, thank the Farm Table, the Farm Table for uh, sponsoring this episode, helping to, to make it possible. And the Farm Table has, uh, you know, if you don't know who they are, you should find out. Um, you can go to thefarmtable.org and find out. Um, it, it's a really cool program. They'll actually bring fresh vegetables to your house, right? Um, how fresh? Within 48 hours of coming out of the ground, that's pretty daggone fresh. Uh, the last box had, you know, three eggplants, some mustard greens. Mm, I love mustard greens. Um, some, you know, some some kind of romaine. There was bok choy, um, apples, right? Uh, red cabbage. Definitely amazing. I mean, uh, what they do is they send you an email at the beginning of the week to tell you what's going to be in the box. Um, then after that, you're you know, you, you decide, do you want it or not? You reply if you don't want it. And if you don't want it, they want, you know, why in the world you would not want a box of fresh vegetables? I have no idea. But if you don't want it that week, don't get it. Um, you'll just get it on the next one. Uh, it, you know, going into the winter, they do take a break. Um, but it's a great time to sign up. You know, sign up for the for it. And, and when you do that, you go to thefarmtable.org. You can sign up and... Use the promo code HRT2014. 
and that'll actually get you um, a discount off your off your uh, off your membership fee. Um, do it. Go check it out. You'll save some money. A little bit of that comes back to the podcast, and that's only good until um, for the to, throughout the end of 2014, right? Give it as a gift, right? If you know somebody that likes vegetables, sign them up. Do that. You'll save some money. You'll get a discount on it. They'll get fresh vegetables sent to their house. Good times, man. Good times. So thanks to the farm table. And I also do want to very quickly say, um, you know, I know that I've actually had some uh, some new listeners recently, and if that's the case, um, just so you know what's going on here, History Replays today, it comes out on the 1st and the 15th of every month, um, and it is conversations with historians, authors, um, and just Richmonders, right? Wherever you're listening to this, it's available, 1st and the 15th of every month. Um, but subscribe and tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your enemies, tell them all that they should listen to History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast. Um, definitely, definitely good for it. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and get into this conversation with Frank Robinson. Uh, and, you know, we started, we started out in the beginning, uh, which is a great place to start. Um, really just who Louis Ginter, the, the guy is, you know, where, where was he born? He was born in New York. Um, but let's hear Frank Robinson talk about it. Had been orphaned um, and lived with his sister, and then, you know, reached young adulthood and launched out on his own. And is there any indication why Richmond, and out of the world? Because he's from New York, right? He's from New York. Um, I don't know that we know. I understand that um, he had a friend, perhaps, who had been here, and the, the, Richmond was kind of a happening place back in, this would have been the 1870s, I guess. No, earlier than that. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. When he first came. Yeah, when he first came. So, um, yes, yeah, so count that's... back. Math. This is. I think this is the first time math has actively been done on the podcast. So, yeah. Oh, okay. so that's I'm exciting. Sorry. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I like it. That's firsts. Let's make some firsts here. Oh lordy. Um, so it would have, it would have been somewhere around 1840, probably. Okay. Um, that he came to Richmond, and so it was before the war, and I think it was a town on the rise. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's maybe like Richmond today. Sure. Um, and he saw opportunity um, and was interested. I mean, he was always an entrepreneur. Okay. I think that that's clear. That's consistent through his life. Uh-huh. Um, and my understanding is he opened up a toy store. And okay. um, we used to have a gentleman who volunteered here who was a collector of antique toys and said in those days, you know, in New York, you would have all these vendors on the street selling all these you know, little wind-up metal things that were painted, and um, and they were extremely popular during that time, and and they might not have been here in Richmond, and so Ginter ended up being the purveyor of these right. these unusual toys, um, and they were relatively inexpensive, and and so it was easy to mm-hmm. uh, to acquire them, um, and then he saw that the mothers had little to do while the children were shopping for and playing with the toys in the toy shop. So he started bringing in um, high-end linens that would then tempt the women of the day to, to make some purchases. So he diversified his, right. his audience there. 
and uh, and that's how he got in the dry goods business and huh. you know became extremely successful um, right um, and that led him into the war um, mm-hmm. as well um, as a quartermaster and I'm assuming this this toy store is gonna be somewhere in Shaka Bottom right or is that yeah like uh, it had to have been yeah okay it had to have been. Um, and I mean, because he comes, becomes right successful in the dry goods business, mm-hmm. right? Extremely so. I think he was like, biggest importer of European goods in the Southeast. Wow. Yeah. That's not terrible. Not terrible at all. <laughs> That's pretty good. So not only as an importer, but as a distributor. Right. Sure. So he was, he was bringing the stuff in from Europe and then shipping it all over. And like fine stuff, like not just a bunch of, you know, garbage and riffraff. I mean, like actually bringing the, like the top quality. Yeah. He was... Bring things in from um, Ireland, Scotland, England, sure, western part of Europe. And the uh, does I, I really don't even know. This may even be out of the realm. But I mean, is there any kind of uh, um, you know, kind of imagining you know a, a Yankee coming down a big the startup? I mean, is there any kind of weird tension? I mean, the old Richmond, or does he fit in? Well, he was new money, so he probably yeah. didn't fit in at that point right. in his life. Um, and yeah, a Yankee with no family, so sure. you know, no real connections to the community as such. And in some ways, I you know, I think if the botanical garden hadn't been named after him, I think he would have been lost in history. Sure. Um, for Richmond, because there was nothing that continued his story here, even right. with the Jefferson. But the Jefferson, you know, the the, the renovation the, uh, of the Jefferson, the renaissance of the Jefferson that came in the 90s was was all about the hotel, and, and reference to Ginter is minimal. Sure. And so, that's um, kind of interesting. Yeah, so he, right. he came, he did his thing. And was successful, died, and sort of disappeared again. Sure, and and I guess joining he joins up in the in the war, mm-hmm. right in the Civil War mm-hmm. when um, the uh, when that hap- comes along. I mean, it, he's definitely he's not a northerner. I mean, he's not a southerner, mm-hmm. right? He's joining into a cause. I mean, is he gangbusters? I mean, is he like a, a you know <laughs> running around with rebel flags, or is he more a fella who's saying let's think about this guys but then you know reluctantly moves in once once things happen now my impression is he was pretty gangbusters okay this is where he made his fortune and he was going to support the confederate cause Mm -hmm. and was in some battles i mean um beth you can help me he had a nickname the fighting fighting commissary fighting commissary yeah Right. So, you know, they recruited him for all of his skills as uh, in in the supply part of what the mm-hmm. army needed. And apparently he was very creative at, at doing that. And, right. Um, but he was in some battles and he fought under A.P. Hill at mm-hmm. one point. And A.P. Hill was a hero for him. Sure. Which is why the A.P. Hill monument is where it is on Laburnum. Right. And um, in Hermitage. Um, so, no, I think he was not a... a hesitant participant in the war right sure because he becomes i think a major right i mean that's Mm -hmm. that's nothing to laugh about Mm -hmm. um and that's going to also help your standing in the south right i mean that's kind of what um oh sure you know i mean that's that's you know that's definitely an opportunity to uh, be accepted by your pals Mm -hmm. um 
and but that doesn't uh, it doesn't go very well for him after the war, right? I mean, that's most people. Richmond Burns. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really makes out very well. No, no, and he lost the vast majority of his fortune, all of his cotton and sugar and um, flour. Sure, was all stored in the warehouses. And so when when Richmond burned, he lost um, almost everything. Right at that point. And, and is there any indication? Is he still able to do business during the war, or is it? I mean, I don't think so. I think I think he put everything he owned into storage and just went off to war. I don't. I think the business. Right. I I don't know. That's a good question, Jeff. Yeah. Um, Yes. You would think. Good question. Yeah, I mean, good question. Yeah. Um, is this going the way you want it to go? Let's yeah, no, it's okay. not. Okay. I've, I've asked a good question. Yeah, That's fantastic. Asked a good question. So. I don't think anyone knows. I mean, yeah, what I've okay. heard is, is that he had all these storehouses with all of this all of this stuff, you know, yeah, that yeah. Had, had a commercial value to it. But no, whether someone continued to uh, run the retail wholesale business, I don't know. Yeah, because I know that there's definitely, um, you know, Joseph Reed Anderson. Who ran Tredegar, who I, I believe was actually friendly with, you know, the, him and Ginter, like pals and think some right. sorts. Um, but he has to get sent home at a certain point um, from the war. You know, at least, you know, better than average, successful, you know, mm. as a, as a um, you know, as a military man and gets sent home just because he's so much better running here. So, mm. um, it, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I thought about it. I was thinking about last night, kind of thinking about this and watching the Roosevelt thing. And they were talking about how Franklin was the um, secretary of the Navy and how, uh, you know, Theodore apparently was like t- telling his wife, you know, you have to, um, you know, you're not, a, you know, good enough if, unless you go onto the front. And, you know, it was a, kind of an interesting concept that if you send everybody, what do you have? You know what's left. If everyone's at the front, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, somebody's got to be, you know, making some good decisions somewhere else. But um, I don't know. I don't know why I thought of that. But interesting. Um, yeah. Well. But uh, but yeah. So um, he gets. Uh, he, he's basically penniless at that point, right? Or is he? Is I, th- that I think over, there was overblown. One or? part. No, I think there was one part of his wealth that remained intact and like there's a reference to it somewhere okay um, i think if i can speak yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. it said um in here that his warehouse stores of tobacco and sugar were destroyed this is wikipedia so you can mm-hmm. take it for what yeah. it's worth facts um <laughs> though his cotton remained unscathed okay so it was tobacco and sugar but with yeah. little economic opportunity in richmond he decided to return to new york to pursue a career in banking right yeah and I've heard that a lot. <clears throat> Banking. The heck does that? Is there any indication what that means? Like he's obviously not a bank teller. He's not a bank. I mean, he, you know, and I think this is I one of the really investment banking. Frankly, is that what it is? That's I, what I am. That's I, what I always understood. I think it's a really interesting part of this fascinating guy is that there's so such a small amount mm-hmm. of references, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like the details. You know, I mean, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, or, you know, questions. I, mean, I, I don't think anyone knows. No, I mean, um, if that book hadn't been written, and I can't think of the name of the young man who wrote it. Brian, Brian Burns, Brian, right. Yeah, Burns. If Brian hadn't done all that original research. You know, the, the other part of the story that is missing is that Grace Ahrens, who created the garden, mm-hmm. had a brother named George who was in business with Ginter. Okay. Um, and then when... American Tobacco, well, he went to New York, was part of Allen and Ginter, um, of, of the Allen Ginter business in New York City. 
But when Ginter merged with Duke and the other, um, I think there were three smaller tobacco companies to form American Tobacco, George became the treasurer of American Tobacco Company. Was extraordinarily wealthy mm -hmm. and successful. I mean, if you go to the New York Public Library, um, his name is on one of the pillars with the Rockefellers and the Whitneys. Wow! I mean, so that's that's good company. Yeah, it's a very good company. And um, and the public library was uh, designed and built by Career and Hastings. The Jefferson Hotel was designed, built by Career and Hastings. So right. there was some interaction that happened between New York and Richmond. Sure, that was significant. Sure, but no one knows that story. Right at all, and because he, but he does make, he does do quite well in banking. Right, he and does. Then, and then there's a Black Friday, and he loses everything. Sure, and so then he comes back, and he has this longer term relationship with. Allen mm -hmm. and they form and, and he was already in the tobacco business. Um, Allen was, and so they form Allen and Ginter. Right. And and that's the last fortune he, he creates. Right. Which is an alright thing to say. If you get one you're pretty good shape. Yeah. <laughs> but people are like the last one he the made. The last one he made. Um and so that's uh, you know, the uh tobacco's not new. Right, he brought toys in. That was new, right? right. But tobacco's not new, right? So, what he introduces, what the pre-rolled cigarettes, pre-rolled cigarettes, right? Packaged pre-rolled cigarettes, right? Which yeah. is a fantastic, you know, that's just a cigarette now. Like the idea that someone would go to the store and say, "Can I have a package of those pre-rolled cigarettes?" Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> um, and but as I understand, before that, you know, people are mostly chewing tobacco, right? Loose, but like cigars, like that would be. Like regular, oh, I think regular. you rolled your own. I think there, I think there was cut tobacco, but I think you uh, bought the tobacco and you bought the paper and you rolled your own tobacco. Right. Um, and he was just a brilliant marketer. Sure. Um, because he was, I believe it was all Virginia tobacco, and and he was selling these as Richmond gems and and Virginia cut tobacco. Um, but he went all over the globe for the international expositions to market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so he was not only building his business, building an international market, he was also on the cutting edge of all the new technology and all the new introductions that were happening globally at the time. Right. So he was in Paris when, you know, uh, the Eiffel Tower was unveiled um, right. and when the first electric streetlights were used. You know, on a great avenue, and I think it was the Avenue of the Opera or something. You know, right. And um, was in Chicago at the exposition when was it GE that illuminated with electricity the entire sure. um, World's Fair, and um, and the typewriter was introduced, and you know, on and on and on. I mean, so I, I think about this man who. You know, again, kind of rootless in a way, you know, came mm -hmm. from New York, went back to New York, was in the war, lived in a hotel the majority of his life um, before huh. the war, um, didn't have a home of his own. I guess it was just huh. sort of as a bachelor. It was, yeah, there was no need or no reason or he worked all the time because right. he didn't have a family to worry about. Um, but he really, you know, was there with... Um, you know, all he was in the company because of the way he built this business of um, 
some of the brightest minds of his time. Sure. And I think that influenced the quality of his thinking and the way he committed his his resources the last decade of his life. That last 10 years was just extraordinary. Right. Yeah. And so that's going to basically be just trying to get rid of his wealth. I, thought, I mean, you know, not trying to get rid, but I mean, like spending it, I mean, fast as, you know, yeah. on some amazing, amazing stuff. Amazing that, things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Grace Aarons helps out a lot with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, John Pope, I guess, is doing a lot of that as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the interesting things is, is Ginter Park itself. Um, seems like a strange thing to do at that point in your life to get into real estate. Well, but he was inspired by, um, Australian cities, I think particularly Melbourne. Okay. Um, and he saw, they have uh, developed streetcars, mm-hmm. and he saw the opportunity to build suburbs and very high quality housing. And, and I kind of wonder if Grace Aarons might not have influenced this because Grace was trained as a nurse, you know, and, okay. um, and public health became her big thing. Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking about someone who owns factories, you know, along the river in the inner city and you're belching out smoke and right. and air pollution um, suddenly he's interested in building these fine quality homes you know outside of the city building the infrastructure the streetcar system that allows people to commute sure. readily and inexpensively he brought in the Olmsted firm uh, to do the landscape design and planted miles and miles and miles of trees and shrubs and knowing that ultimately this would this would all develop into a very fine residential community. Um, that that came from um, his trips to Australia. And sure. He loved what he saw there and he wanted to bring that to Richmond. It's like bringing the Jefferson to Richmond. He wanted to have a, t- a world-class hotel in this city. Mm-hmm. Now he was building world-class suburbs. And sure. Um, so I think it was inspiration um, mm-hmm. and his gift back to the city in many ways as well as a very savvy investment. Right. Um, and, and that's another that's another thing I was wondering about is, uh, is he actually going to make money off it? I mean, is, you know, is Ginter Park financially successful? Because, I mean, you're, it, it seems like a very strange, you know, idea of that back then. Like nowadays, even when you see a suburb goes up, um, you know, the, the homes are, you know, come stocked with like a stick that has two branches on it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. going to become, but from the kind of the impression that, that I've gotten is it's more um, like pre-ready, you know, when people come, they're impressed. I mean, this is a beautiful, you know, like you said, bringing in professional landscapers to have to, you know, so that the whole thing is wonderful. The best in the country. Right. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. The guy who did Central Park. And sure. And did... The park system in Philadelphia and Boston and Buffalo. Yeah. Right. But the idea is that these are affordable homes, correct? I mean... I, I think, yes. I mean, I mean, affordable homes... This is not for wealthy people. or you know. Well, certainly Hermitage Road has some fabulous houses on it that were obviously occupied by wealthy people. And I think probably a, a Chamberlain had some extraordinary homes as well, Chamberlain and Brooke. But, okay. So some of and, it was, you know, certain, certainly middle class, and some of it was definitely upper middle class or upper class. So you maybe, had the Franklin Street mansions, and then you had, sure. you know. So maybe I'm completely wrong here. So, like, those homes were included in what he would have considered Ginter Park? Or those, like, would he have built those homes, or would he have, he have built... I, I don't know if he built the homes uh, or he sold the lots, but he okay. created 
Right. That he created the destination. Right. The idea that someone would want to yeah. go out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. So I think. Um, I mean, he gave the land for the seminary. So obviously, that area between Brook and um, Chamberlain was part of his uh, intent for development. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly some incredible houses around there. So I think it maybe he laid out the plots, he created the streets, he planted the landscape, and then I don't think he built all the houses. I think he sold the lots and people built their own houses. Okay. Um, so I don't think there was a whole lot of spec building that was going on. But um, And did he just happen to own a boatload of land here? Or, like, or what? Because, <laughs> you know, there's... I mean, the number of things that are in this area. I mean, he basically created the north side. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, between, like you said, the seminary, the gardens, the, um, you know, the Ginter Park. I mean... Did he say that's the spot that I want, or he just like where do I have the most land? Let's do this. I, I think bingo. he accumulated all the land. Okay, bit by bit. Hmm. Maybe big bit by big bit. You know, he <laughs> he um, paved Brook Road, right? Because um, it was the major north south highway, mm-hmm. and um, so that, I think that was a personal investment as well. But again, I think it was you know he was an early developer. Sure. Um, yeah, paving, paved roads. I don't know. I think that's one of those things that we kind of take for granted. Like, yeah, right. as many potholes <laughs> as there are and you complain, but, like, riding on a proper, like, you know, dirt or just constant cobblestone road, holy uh-huh. smokes. Yeah. That would be brutal. Yeah. Um, and then to turn on to, whoa, a paved one. It's like a dream come true, mm-hmm. right? With curbs and storm drains and all, yeah. of, all of that. Yeah. Right. Not completely becoming a mud pit. I yeah. mean, you know, school's canceled now for snow. I mean, can you imagine if school's cancel because buses couldn't you know it rained right and they can't you know it's too muddy i just had dinner last night with some friends from vermont and they were saying you know come up come up but don't come in mud season and i said well what's mud season and they said for six weeks from um march into april it's just every as the snow melts and it's brutal you know, moist and it's just mud they said yeah. you have to have a car that has 18 inches of clearance and four-wheel drive or you just can't get to a lot of places and right I thought it was interesting. I never thought about mud season. Sure. Not, but I'm sure we had mud season here, too. At one time. And that's why we have a Richmond History Podcast, and I'm not doing a Burlington History, because <laughs> it gets cold there, too. Holy smokes. I don't yeah. need all that snow. Yeah, that's true. Um, we get a nice taste of everything here. But um, did, did you but, know about the farm, Bloomingdale Farm, that he created that um, it is basically where Azalea Avenue is now? No, and um, he built a, a whole series of little houses there um, where that uh, Episcopal, Episcopal church is on the west side of Brook, um, and it was a they produced um, fruits and vegetables and meat for the Jefferson kitchens. Huh. So you know the guy just was like yeah you know on and on and on, and that's yeah. fantastic. I mean that's uh, I mean I think that's business savvy as well. Yeah. you know if we're gonna have a hotel where you know. I'm gonna get the best price for beef, and I'm gonna sell it to them. Yeah, right. I mean, that's yeah. or at least best quality. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean you're gonna you're at least gonna it's gonna control. Yeah. it's gonna be supply. Uh-huh. That's that's what we're gonna make sure. Um, and so the, uh, um, it, I mean, he's also I mean, that's you know tobacco. He's out of the tobacco industry at this point, right? Or is that no? He's still in the tobacco industry. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I mean the the power. That, I mean the number of jobs. I mean, just the mm-hmm. stuff that we've, we've... I mean, that's that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for you know for that day and age. I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, so is he? Uh, I guess he sets up the 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 bicycle club here, mm-hmm. right? And that's somewhat to try and get people out here, first place, right? Well, Lakeside Park certainly was to get people out here. Okay. Um, which was separate from the bicycle club initially, I guess. Did Lakeside Park come first? I think it did, didn't it? Before. It preceded the bike club? I do not know. Well, we'll start. start. It's within a few years. Sure. It was was interesting because last time I was talking to Beth, it's something that I had always thought about is, where are the lakes? And... (laughs) She show, she was showing me they're just behind uh-huh. the house where we are, uh-huh. um, but it's just like wow. There's I don't know that name. It's like everyone says lakeside, lakeside mm-hmm. constantly, mm-hmm. and you're like, where are the lakes? Yeah, yeah. come on. How did, how did it get they're not lakeside. much for lakes. No, they, they're more ponds. But like, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, but yeah. So that's and what kind of park? You know, mm-hmm. what are people doing out there? Because especially you got to go between the city and a whole lot of what we'd consider parkland. Nowadays, natural land, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. what's the um, what's the advantage of coming out here just to sit by a lake or there? No, there was there was boating on the lake. There was a zoo. Okay, we brought animals in from um, Belgium, from Antwerp, I believe, mm-hmm. and, and imported them from the zoo there. Um, there was the first public golf course in Richmond. Ding dong. Um, there was a um, dance hall. A bowling alley. Um, what else am I forgetting? Um, so it was this whole complex of structures and activities mm-hmm. for people. And then he built a narrow gauge railroad um, that went, I think, from basically up Hermitage and Lakeside Avenue that terminated right out here. Mm-hmm. And so you'd ride his railroad mm-hmm. and um, for some reason, the engine was named after a female, and it's a big mystery. No one knows why the engine was named that. I can find the name for it if you think. Yeah. Barbara? But Barbara, yes. Thank you. you the engine was named Barbara. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we can make all kinds of stories up in our heads. I think Barbara right. broke his heart somewhere along the way, don't sure. you think? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so you, they would get off the train, walk across the dam, and here was this big recreational center sure. waiting for people. Right. I'm like sure it. there was there were cards and all of those kinds of things that people Yeah, is there any kind of indication of what kind of animals in a zoo? There is actually. Um and I don't have that list, but I think um we do in our library. Okay. I mean um, but is it more like like cows and hogs or no, no, like no, exotic bears, like giraffes bears and, and giraffes and that's things like that. Yeah. yeah. There's still some bear cages that exist over there in, in the in the golf course. Huh. Wow. But these were exotic animals. And that's those are things people can like if you're golfing and you're like, What's that over there? And you're like, That's an old bear cage. <laughs> there's a there's a photograph, I think someone did a blog on it recently. I'll try to find it. But yeah. Yeah. you can see it's the concrete pad. I think where the, the cage was. That's mm-hmm. just I don't know that you would know I, that's what it is, but if yeah. you know the history. I suspect the zoo and the golf course were isolated from one another. <laughs> right. It was all part of that big complex. Sure. It's quite a hazard. The bears. Can I play Instead through? of a sand trap, you had a bear trap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you got to have a, one club for the ball and one to keep the bears away. Um, and... Uh, 
Are they like are the are, are the bike club and this park working together? Like, could you go? Ultimately, get yeah. I think you know. I don't know that you could ride your bike through the park. There were supposedly some trails that were developed from Ginter Park out here, so you could ride your bike out if you wanted. But you could rent bikes here, and there were trails. I've always kind of assumed they were this way. Sure. Because um, the images kind of show people riding bikes out the out the basement of this building and sort of out and around somewhere. But right. he also owned land all the way to Brook Road. So basically where Belma Golf Course is, right. all the way probably to Parham was land that he owned. But so I mean, I'm guessing he used some sort of admission to get into these Oh, parks. I'm sure. Oh, so, membership for one thing. I think for the bicycling club, I think you had to be a member. What, okay. what it took to be a member, I don't know. Right, okay, fair um, enough. Yeah. So, are, is, but are these... I guess, are these, is he doing this just to better the city and to get people to come to the north side, or are these also profit? I mean, are they, you know, is he making, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I kind of see him as this figure somewhat that is, uh, you know, that gets super rich and then is like, you know, throwing dollars out. Yes, please, everyone, you know, you need what's streets gonna, and, yeah, yeah. you know. I mean, is there any kind of indication? Is, is he that nice of a guy, or is he a guy who sees opportunity and says, you know, this road should be paved because I can make more money if people are at the end of it? Or is it... Wouldn't it be nice? I think it had was... to be a combination of both. Okay. Yeah, frankly. I, I just can't imagine that there wasn't a practical side to some of this. Right. This part. So it's um, not completely just charity. I mean, it's... So, I think he yeah. was. He was like George Eastman up in Rochester. I think he was an enlightened industrialist, right? You know? And, and um, as we might need a time machine to actually find that out, yeah. to get the actual inside his thoughts yeah. of what uh, what was going on. Um, but so bicycling as well, because you guys have a bike exhibit coming up. We do, which should be a pretty, you know, pretty amazing. Um, the uh, these folks. Yeah, and I guess we kind of talked this before, but it seems like a very far away. I think I can't remember. I, I did a Google map of like from Monroe Park to here. It was like ten miles or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with one of those gigantic wheeled bikes with no gears. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we had that discussion yeah. with Bill Martin the other day at right. lunch. Yeah, yeah, what did Bill say? I mean, just how yeah, just dangerous. <laughs> yeah, just I mean how far that you know. To hop on a modern day bike and go ten miles, you know, it's a good workout. You're not, yeah. you know, but on one of those things, this is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I mean, this and, is a. And I don't know that they hopped on their bikes and they rode. I mean, it wasn't. It was more of a recreational thing. It wasn't a transportation thing. Okay, so you think they may have come here and then ridden they bikes around come, the grounds? Yeah, they as could, opposed yeah to, that's part of the. You could rent bikes here. Maybe you could store your bikes here. Okay, but when you think about. Horses and carriages and motor cars and streetcars all on the streets of Richmond. I don't know how many people rode those big front wheel bikes. Right. I think it might have been more of a recreational activity. Yeah, because I think downtown it was definitely, I mean, there was traffic. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like, um, because that was actually from the conversation I did with Bill. I remember, and and I've looked into it since then. Um, I don't know. I think I just kind of imagine, you know, downtown when there's carriages, there's like two carriages you know, slowly mosing down, but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there were, you know, when you look at kind of these pictures, there's, it's busy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of carriages sure. and car, you know, cars come along and like that, it's what we think of today is like too much traffic. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, 
Oh, wow. One of the cages. That's awesome. And, yeah, can can I, can you, is that, send me that picture? Sure, I'll send you the blog. Uh, the blog. So, that, yeah, I'll, I'll post oh. the uh, link to that. Who did the blog? I think Janet's been working on a series. Has she? Yeah, I know she has been. Isn't that cool? It's actually really awesome. Um, and uh, in this case, uh, Janet is Janet Woody. She is Lewis Skinner's uh, Botanical Gardens librarian. She does a lot of the blog posts. Uh, and I have, I have added a link to the page on historyreplaystoday.org uh, for this episode uh, to check out that, that blog post and the, the bear. Bear gets really neat that that still exists. That makes me really happy. Um, it's the weird little random parts uh, of the remnants of history around that, that we don't always know what it is. And while you're there at historyreplaystoday.org, click on the support button. Right, invest in the podcast if you're enjoying it. Um, you know, be like Aaron who uh, who gave fifty dollars uh, to keep the podcast going. Every little bit counts. Thank you very much get back to my conversation with Frank Robinson. Librarian's gotten very interested in the history and she's and we have a, a volunteer who's become crazed um, at reading <laughs> um, newspaper um, articles from this period of time um, that are um, you know just relatively recently been made available through Library of Congress scanning sure. so many things so right. he keeps feeding things to Janet which are Pretty interesting. That's fantastic. Well, um, future episode mm-hmm. podcasts mm-hmm. have that that yeah. go on. Yeah, um, it really is amazing how much stuff is available now. Um, you know, if you have the time to look through it, and yeah. um, it, it's yeah, uh, it's fun. I like reading some of that we'll stuff. Have to get you to a podcast on Alexander de Cube. Help mm-hmm. us do it. We have this interesting. Um, botanical art collection that has a lot of mystery behind it. Yeah, I'm there. I like okay. that. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I have an art background myself. So oh, do you really? I'm dropping uh, some some mystery in there. Soul. Always. Okay. <laughs> okay, Jeff. It's we, always we've fantastic. got a project. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, in, and I guess you know the, the bike club stuff. It, it, I guess getting the chronology. Is he working on the um, the Jefferson? I mean, we've kind of Jefferson, talked about all this stuff. Oh, gosh. Um, Are these simultaneous? Yeah, or? they're all kind of simultaneous. Jefferson was finished in 1895, I think. Yes. Yeah, 93. I want to say 93 or 4. 93. The bike um, club was 95. He okay. died in 97. Right. Um, so, you know, Ginter Park was in the 90s as well, I think. Mm-hmm. So, all of this is just happening like in a frenzy. Sure. It's really fascinating. So, and is he involved? Is there an indication how involved he is in putting these things together? Or is he, you know, I mean, there's a lot of rich folks that are just going to be like, you know, go make me a bicycle club, mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. build me a hotel, go, you know, while he, you know, whatever sips on my ties. I don't know. You know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he had, I mean, he had his house on Franklin Street and then he had Westbrook, mm-hmm. which was his country house. Right. Which is not, not far from here. No. Yeah. Um, which I understand was a glorious piece of architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he's got his tobacco business interest. He's, you know, he's creating American tobacco with Duke. Right. Um, so, yeah, he must have been kind of a mogul of some sort, you know. Sure. And he had to have people who were implementing all this for him. That would right. Impossible to think that he did it all himself. Sure. Directed it all himself. Yeah. 
And and at what point does he get out of the tobacco industry? Is it that I mean? Um, I, he stayed in it till he died, basically. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. His his uh, he had you know significant ownership in an American Tobacco Company. Sure. Um, and they had offered him the presidency, I think, I and he declined because huh. um, he didn't want to go. I, I think he didn't want to go back to New York, and he had so much stuff going on here in Richmond. Right. And it, the company was based in New York. It was. Right. The new company. Yes. Um, and I mean, and it's. Mm-hmm becomes basically what becomes Philip Morris, mm-hmm. you know, through steps. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But it yeah. traces all back to that. It does, yeah. Um, which, uh, which is also, yeah, they, they moved, moved the headquarters to Richmond only, what, 100, what? 110 years late, too late for him? 20 years too yeah, late for him? Yeah, the other him. interesting little twist is George Arendt's, um Grace's brother, mm-hmm. went to New York to be treasurer of America, was in New York, became treasurer of American Tobacco. Her nephew, George Jr., started a little company in 1900 with a, a partner in New Jersey um, called American Machine and Foundry Company. And American Machine and Foundry was making the um, ever bigger, faster machines to make pre-rolled cigarettes and sold those machines to Philip Morris and to all the other tobacco right. companies that existed. And then they started to diversify, and they made um, uh, bread slicing and wrapping machines. You know this old thing about better than sliced bread. That's, right. That's where. It, so it went from cigarette machines to bread machines, and then ultimately to other machines and diversification. Sure. Um, and we know that company today is AMF. Wow. That's AMF pretty fantastic. Bowling. Right. So yeah, which is also was, is just outside of Richmond, right? Isn't that, or, or at least... Well, I mean, it it was bought by investors in Richmond, and then it was resold. I'm not sure where AMF headquarters is. I know that they, they have a factory. I don't know where the headquarters are, but there's yeah. definitely a factory. Um, it's uh, doing segue tours and talking to so many random people for extended periods. Um, I find out that there's the weirdest... Okay, I can remember, like, what? They make bowling alleys? Mm-hmm. What? what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> all those reset machines. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, you know, it's just you just never think, oh, Richmond, Virginia, that's where they make all the yeah reset machines. But yeah. You know, oh yeah, they do. I guess. Yeah, but they do. Um, but anyway, so there's this yeah, you know, this other loop back mm-hmm. to Richmond. Sure. Through AMF and through the Ginter side of the family, or through the Arendt side of the family. Right. And is she, um, you know. How do they get to Richmond, the Aarons? Oh, um, Louis Kinder's older sister, Jane, mm-hmm. helped to raise him after his parents died. I think okay. he was like 11 when he lost both of his parents. And so he moved in with his older sister and her family um, in New York. And then he leaves to come to Richmond. Jane's husband dies, and she has four children. And so by this time, Ginter has um, become financially successful. And so mm-hmm. Jane leaves New York and brings her children down to Richmond, and he helps to raise those children. Right. So, you know, she was and like a foster mother to him, and then he becomes a foster mother or foster father to, his, to her children. That's fantastic. And this yeah. is the tobacco fortune that we're talking about, right? Or is that like early days when he's going? Um, let's see. Um, 
I know it, it's extra confusing. Normally, you Brace. can just say it's someone's fortune, but when you're like, which fortune are we which talking about? Which fortune like, was it? Yeah, which era was it? Because Grace was in her early twenties, I think. I think George might have stayed in New York, but um, so I'm sorry, we're we doing math again. That's fantastic. So we. Well, it says here, by 1856, Ginter formed a partnership with his nephew, George Arendt, okay. and John F. Alvey okay. to begin marketing wholesale linens. Okay. So that was the um, whole, the dry goods. The, um, okay. So this was probably after the war, because um, Grace was in her 20s, so it must have been the 1860s. Okay. Um, somewhere in there that right. she and her mother and her younger sisters came down. Okay. And so, so it is, I guess it would be, I don't know how long he was in New York in the investment banking business, but I think he's now come back to Richmond and has started making money again in Tobacco. Right. Huh. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. the, and they like Grace Aarons does a great deal. I mean, is she properly employed by him, or is, or is she just an assistant? I mean, and there's a weird. It seems like a strange relationship um, that she's doing. You know, and I guess even like what I was talking about before, where you know, is is he building roads to make money, or just? It seems like most of the stuff I've seen that she's done with building churches and whatnot. I mean, those are absolute. You know, charity. It, yeah, you absolutely. Know. All philanthropic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no no indication anywhere that she was employed by anyone or, or physically worked other than her training as a nurse. But you, you had throughout... I was just looking this up last night, strangely enough, because one of our staff asked about it. But you had um, throughout the Northeast... In Midwest in those days, as the cities grew and all the immigrants came in, you had mm -hmm. the tenements that people were living in. You had no public right. health system, basically. Mm. Um, there were very few hospitals. And so people were living in very crowded conditions. Disease was rampant, particularly mm -hmm. things like tuberculosis. And air pollution was not sure. great. And um, people were using you know, home remedies from the old country you right. know, to try to get well. Right. Um, and so the visiting nurse system uh, began mm -hmm. um, in Chicago and Buffalo was a leader of that in New York City. Mm -hmm. And so Grace Arendt basically brought that to Richmond. Hmm. Okay. Um, and she, because uh, she definitely does um, build the St. Andrews, mm -hmm. what, in, in Oregon Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, is that that kind of connection? Because I mean, that's a working class area. So, so I guess she's she's been going in like a um, visit home doc, making house calls. Yes, that right. was the phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Visiting nurse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Visiting nurse. <laughs> Brain didn't work there for a second. Um, mm -hmm. And, and is, it, is there anything in particular to that area, or is it just the whole city that she's working with? I, I think again, it was this sort of. That's where the factory workers were living. Okay. And that's where the Ginter fortune came from. Right. And, um, you know, he was very interested. He had a library in, in his factory and provided food, I think, for people who worked there. And, I mean, he, was, he really was kind of this enlightened industrialist. I mean, obviously, they were doing 
challenging labor and probably working very long hours. Sure. And, um, so her commitment was to that neighborhood because she wanted them to, and their children in particular, have other options in the future. Yeah. Um, and so the school was really all, and 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 she endowed it so that mm -hmm. um, tuition would be free or very low, so the children of that community would get a good education and hopefully have prospects that were greater than what their parents had. Sure. All right. American dream. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. The American dream. Um, she built bathhouses. She built housing that was subsidized. Right. Um, up there, you know, all of that. And she built the first library. Mm -hmm. um, she built housing for the teachers who taught at St. Andrews and then the church I guess to encourage their spiritual growth as well as their other sure. needs um, so yeah that that was that was strictly philanthropical yeah and so, something I've also never really thought of is is there any indication that Ginter was overtly religious or I've never heard of he was a member of St. Paul's Okay. He was a Mason. Okay. And so I suspect there was... Yeah. And then um, the Arendt's family um, were very, very big contributors to one of the Episcopal churches on Fifth Avenue in New York. Um, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but we can easily find that out, too, if you're interested. Sure. But So there was... A, in, um, there was no religious affiliation for the family. Sure. Um, and um, I wonder the, um, and I don't know if it's like how controversial it really is anymore, but I mean the, um, like the homosexual aspect of it, I mean, is that, and it's a, it is always a weird thing. I think the disclaimer always has to be brought up that there's no way that, I don't know what you do in the bedroom or what you do in the bedroom. You, I'm not going to tell you what I do. So Thank there's you. no way. <laughs> That's a totally different podcast. That's right. That's, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> gory details. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, all the indications are that, you know, it seems like he hung out with a lot of young men, was never married. Um, Adopted John Pope. Right. As an adult. Um, and... You know, it's a strange, and it's also, I also feel weird about it as well because it seems strange to say, you know, oh, he wasn't married, he must have loved dudes. You know, it, it might, you know, there's no telling. Yeah, there's no it could telling. have been Barbara, this woman that you're saying, or, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, you wonder, if, you know, if if he was gay and and that's part of why he didn't become part of the social elite in Richmond. Mm -hmm. I mean, he must have been because he had the money. Because he's kind of a recluse. Yeah, but right? he's kind of recluse. And maybe did he just work all the time and he was just sort of so completely overwhelmed by all of these initiatives, right. you know, that he just never found time to be married or or was he not interested in sure. being married and for whatever reason. You know? Right. And then you have that same discussion about grace who never married, right? Um, and who lived here the last ten years of her life with her companion, sure. Um, and so there are all these allusions right. um, to their sexuality. I guess I've kind of come to the point where who cares? You know, right. um, does it make any 
difference in what they achieved in their lives. Um, yeah, it doesn't no. bring any greater understanding to who they were as people. Right. Um, I, th- I think it's just an interest. It's an interesting thing, just because um, I think, f- frankly, like I said, who cares? You know, I, I don't care if you're if you're gay now. I mean, I don't know what you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you're straight. You know, I'm married, so it's not in, right in this culture. I think it's very strange in some ways that we divide people by whether yeah. they're straight or whether they're gay or whether, you know it i thought we were all going to be beyond that in the, you know after the 1960s but it that's, really that's has when we get our flying cars and, and yeah. stuff i think that's yeah. they that, go hand in hand but, but. <laughs> so it yeah you know, so we ask those questions from this perspective in those days one i don't think it was openly discussed and two you know i, I don't know everyone had strange uncles, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> sure. Still do. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I don't know if it was as big a deal in, in society in those days or right. if it was just repressed. Yeah. I know. I'm going to go ahead and cut it off right here, cut the conversation off, basically cutting it in half. So the second half is going to be um, coming out on December 1st. Uh, if you have questions if you have comments if you just have something to add to the conversation let me know right you can comment at historyreplaysaday.org you can also uh you know invest in the the podcast there um you know every little bit counts again click on that support button it's very easy all you need is a a paypal account that just takes a couple couple minutes to sign up for and you know you can also tweet me at history replays uh, check me out on Facebook, History Replays Today, or Twitter. I mean, excuse me, Tumblr. Uh, History, yeah, Twitter and Tumblr. Do it all. Follow them all. You find out about guests. Uh, you, you know, I also post uh, questions um, sometimes when I'm when I'm getting ready to go interview somebody. Um, you know, which I am going to be actually uh, uh, interviewing Lee Graves uh, in a in a day or two for an upcoming episode about the history of beer. So if you have questions about that, let me know. You can also support the podcast by, you know, writing a review on iTunes, Stitcher, you know, tune in wherever, wherever you're listening to this, you know, write a review for me, drop five stars on there. That'd be fantastic. Obviously, if you've gotten to this point in the podcast, you must not hate it. You must be at least three star worthy, right? It can't be, can't be too terrible, I suppose. Um, but uh, make it a great day.